Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to see you. And uh, I can't see you. You can see me. But those of you joining us uh, right now from an off-site campus or at home, in your car, and also starting this week uh, and here at Long Point, uh, out, on the, out, out on the lawn. Uh, let, let's give a hand for those that are out on the lawn today and worshiping with us. Uh, we wanted to provide an opportunity on our weekend messages, our Sunday uh, 9 and 11 here, uh, for those of you who maybe are not ready to join inside, but you'd love to worship together, and there's a good group out there doing that now. I'll tell you what I thank God for, too, is just our wonderful worship experience. Would you thank God for the worship teams at each of the campuses that are talented and lead us in worship? It's just, uh, I have enjoyed it all three services this weekend. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt like your day was hijacked? Anybody ever felt like you had a plan, you were going somewhere, you were going to do something, and something happens, and now you're off on a chase that you hadn't planned? Maybe it's not a whole day. Has anybody uh, ever had a time at work when, you know, it's the busiest moment of your day, for whatever reason, you, maybe you knew it was going to, or it just came up, but you're plowing through, you're getting her done, you've got an agenda, you're gonna make it, and somebody walks in who doesn't have an agenda, and they're just happy to be there. Anybody ever ha had that? Somebody that's just there to be a blessing, and uh, blesses them, but it doesn't bless you. Yeah, I has anybody been that person? I am that person. I wander around here at times, and I just say, I'm just here to be a blessing. But I can hijack the best part of somebody's day. You know, uh, it doesn't even have to be a someone. The other night, I uh, sat down, I was going to watch a game. And, you know, I got my favorite chair, a little recliner, uh, got my Diet Coke and chips. I don't do 75 hard the same way that Josh Surratt does it. I have my own deal with that. And I uh, just got settled in, you know, ready to go. And Debbie says, would you mind taking the dogs out? Well, of course not. I mean, I want to help. And uh, as I might have mentioned before, I don't know, but uh, we got a little puppy accidentally. Well, I mean, we plan on getting the puppy, but it was before the COVID thing. And uh, Kobe is his name. We named him after uh, Kobe uh, Bryant. And uh, he was born at about the same time as, as Kobe's accident. And uh, he's been a blessing to us during the COVID thing. Just, you know, really uh, brought joy into our house. Uh, he's not the problem. Uh, I've got a picture right here. You've got Kobe is on the left. And on the right is my daughter's dog, Luna, who is staying with us all, all, also. And Luna is demon-possessed. Yeah. And so here's, here's the drill. If you want to let one of them out to do their thing, you can't let both of them out at the same time because nobody gets their business done and they're off to the races, okay? So I'm settled down, going to watch a game. Would you mind letting the dog out? Just Kobe. Sure, she reminds me, don't let Luna out. And I whisper because he's demon-possessed. And sure enough, the demon-possessed dog got out. And so it's night, I can't even see that dog. And they're lapping our house, lapping the house, right? Well, I decide I'm going to go inside. They can lap whatever they want to. And Deb says, no, you got to get the dogs in. We can't leave them out there. They're 
predators outside, you know, or whatever. So, uh, so I'm outside chasing these dogs around my house, saying things that I hope the grandkids don't hear and the neighbors, hijacked, hijacked my evening, hijacked my moment. Well, some of you feel like maybe your whole life has been hijacked. Everything is conspiring against you. And it's important to realize that sometimes, whether it's a moment that's hijacked, a day that's hijacked, or even when it feels like a season has been hijacked, it's important to remember that sometimes it's really God at work. And we're going to take a look at that uh, today in our message. We're starting a new series called, called Royals. And what we're going to do is we're going to study Old Testament kings, the Old Testament kings of Israel. And we'd love to invite you to study along with us. And you can kind of read in the book of Kings. This today is the book of Samuel, but uh, the book of Kings starts many of them. And uh, read along, read the stories. But I would warn you of this. As you read the stories, anybody ever been reading through the Old Testament and you go, whoa, wow, that's violent. That's different than how we live. And uh, what I would encourage you to do is not be like some of us call it being cultural snobs where we evaluate Old Testament living according to our values today. It was a different time. It was a totally different time, different, different days, and, and uh, you can study a little bit more on that, or you can uh, call and talk to us if, if you've got some questions along those lines. But we'd love for you to, to, uh, to, to read ahead and uh, it's a study of Old Testament kings. Sometimes they were good. Sometimes they were bad. In fact, it goes back and forth. They had a good king, and they were blessed. They had a bad king, and, you know, things didn't go well for them. And, uh, and uh, we're going to study how their actions impacted the people that they led, and more importantly, how God provided for his people in good times and in bads, regardless of who the king was. Now, today, I want to talk about Saul who was the first king of Israel. Israel had been led uh, up until this point by a series of prophets and judges, and the latest of which is a man named Samuel. And Israel cries out to God, we want a king. They said, everybody else has a king. And literally, they're you know, telling the truth. Just about every city had a king. When we read Old Testament or Old Testament times of Kingdom. Sometimes you think of the king of England over all of this area. Well, sometimes, but usually it was a city king who had, who had uh, uh, either conquered or been made the leader of, of the city. And Israel sees this. They say, we don't have a king. We want a king, which makes Samuel upset because he's the leader right now. And he feels rejection rather than them just rejecting God's plan for them at that particular point. And so Samuel tells Israel, he says, if you get a king, he's going he's gonna to lead you into war and he's going to raise your taxes. Some things never change. That's as political as I'm going to get. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so God hears their cries and selects a young man named Saul to be king. And he starts out well. He would be in the good king category for a while. Until some things happen, he makes poor choices. Ultimately, he uh, loses his kingdom. And today, we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the choosing of Saul because there's something in there that I want you to see. The story of the choosing of Paul, Saul begins with a hijacked day. In fact, it becomes several days as Saul finds himself chasing 
Not a demon-possessed dog in the night, but a herd of his father's donkeys. Let's read this story. 1 Samuel 9 and verse 1 says, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerur, the son of Becherath, the son of Ephiah of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul. And as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. I hate Saul. Just do. He hits the genetic jackpot, you know. <laughs> you just don't like him. And besides that, look at this. Look at this. Another strike. He was a head taller than everybody else. <laughs> He's tall, dark, and handsome, you know. He's, he's the Tom Brady of kings, all right? A lot of reasons not to like him. He's not a king yet, though. He's just working for his dad. And uh, he's, he's chasing his dad's donkeys, as you'll see in just a minute. Let's, let's read the next passage. It says, now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, but they didn't find him. And they went on into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys weren't there. And then he passed through the territory of Benjamin and he didn't find him. Now, as we're going to discover in this story, it wasn't a mistake that the donkeys got out. That was divine, actually. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a mistake that Saul's next few days were hijacked. No, God is at work in the process, and he's using this circumstance to lead him to his destiny. So what can we learn, and how can we respond to God as a result of this story? So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about things to remember when you're chasing donkeys. <laughs> I... Uh, I think this is a cool message, and I thought it was a great revelation. And I told my wife earlier in the week, she said, what are you going to preach about? I said, chasing donkeys. She said, that sounds political. I had never even thought of it. And so I just want to give a disclaimer. If you're bothered by chasing donkeys, just replace them with elephants. Okay, the story goes kind of the same. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but apparently nothing is funny these days. Okay, so here, here's, here's the first thought that I want to give you is this, is that we all go through seasons where it feels like we're chasing donkeys. We all go through seasons. Some of you are in a season right now when it feels like you're chasing donkeys. You, you, you think, you know what? I was, I was made for more than what I'm doing right now. Maybe it's a season where you feel like I've got more bandwidth than what's being used at work or in the church or wherever it is. Or it could be that you're doing the best you can on the team uh, or in your job or your career. You're just not being noticed. You, you, you find yourself doing mundane things. You're chasing donkeys. Maybe it's a mom who feels like they've been reduced to carpool driver and meal maker. And, and you know it's an important season. You know those things are very important. But deep down inside, you feel like I'm chasing donkeys. Or maybe you were headed somewhere that you had dreamed about, and suddenly now you're dealing with aging, aging parents with declining health, and, and you're honored. You're honored in this season. But maybe it, it wasn't a part of the plan right now. 
You feel like you're chasing donkeys. You know, oftentimes when we're chasing donkeys, it, it just feels like a frustrating detour. Anybody ever had a frustrating detour? Yeah. You know, detours are frustrating. If you, if you, if you don't think they're frustrating, when you're stuck in a traffic detour, look at the faces around you. That's what frustration looks like, okay? Detours, detours. Um, Debbie and I, I was talking to somebody this week, and uh, when we got married, I knew I was marrying a girl that wanted to be a mama and wanted to have a family, wanted to have her own home. It was kind of her deal. Her dad bought their home way, 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 way back, paid for it in about 20 years, you know, and, and uh, it was just that was the home life that they had. And in our first few years of marriage, uh, trying to have children, we lost two. And, uh, I, or as I like to say, there are two that I'm going to meet in heaven someday when I get there. And because uh, I believe in life, I believe in life and that, that life begins uh, in, in the womb. And uh, so anyway, that was a frustrating time. And then um, we, we saw friends that would buy houses, you know, and some family members would buy houses. And I know that there are people that go, go through their whole life without ever own, owning their home, but it was a desire that we had. We're living in little apartments and moving, you know, from time to time. And uh, so 12 years go by in our marriage. And we're kind of still, uh, we, we've got kids now. We've got four children living in small homes that were rented. And, um, and so uh, we decided to come to Charleston. And one of the things in the decision to come to Charleston was I, I told Deb, I said, uh, we're kind of starting over is what we're doing. And we're just going to put this whole house deal on, on hold. We tried down through the years. Sometimes we didn't have enough money. Sometimes, you know, there were other things that came up, but we just couldn't qualify. And I said, we're, we're, we're going to put it off. We may never have a house. That's one of the decisions we make. We moved to Charleston. What was interesting is uh, three weeks into living here, uh, I preached in the church that we worked in at the time and that launched Seacoast Northwood Assembly on a Wednesday night. A guy came up to me after the service on Wednesday night, and he said, you don't know me. And he said, this might sound strange. Maybe it is. But he said, the Lord showed me this week that there's going to be a guy preaching on Wednesday night, and I want you to build him a house. He said, so I feel like God has told me that I'm to build you a house. I said, well, good luck with that. I don't have any money. I didn't have any. I couldn't have done a down payment. You know, uh, it doesn't matter what size it was. I couldn't have done it. I told him that, and he said, that's not a problem. He said, uh, we'll make that work, and he built me a house here in Mount Pleasant. It was an amazing thing. I, you know, in hindsight, I see God's providence in everything, but at the time, it felt like we were chasing donkeys. Many of you are familiar with my daughter, Jenny, my youngest daughter, and her battle with cancer over the last couple of years, and uh, I can remember when we first went in to the doctor, wonderful doctor, goes to our church and uh, to talk about, you know, treatment options and what we're going to do. And, and I wanted to hear the whole thing. I said, you know, we're starting here. What's the end point? Okay, that's the end point. What do we got to do between there? And in my mind, I saw everything as a linear journey from here to there. And a lot of you who are survivors, you kind of know that that's not always the case. And uh, it seemed like, with our situation, that every time there was one of these 
forks in the journey where this fork is like things are working out really good. And this fork is things are not as good. We're going to have to work something else out. We got the not as good fork. Not because anybody did anything wrong. It just happened to be the journey that we were on. And it felt like sometimes you could go, well, other people haven't had to do that or other people aren't going. No, it's life. And it felt like a detour chasing donkeys sometimes. I know every time we've attempted to take ground, oh, and Jenny's doing great, by the way, and we appreciate your prayers on that. Every time we've attempted to take ground for the kingdom of God here at Seacoast over 30 years or more, the pattern has always been similar. There's an initial excitement. This is great. We're going to do this. And then there's frustrating detours because I tend to see everything as linear, even with the experience that I have. And then oftentimes there's a season where it feels like we're chasing donkeys. And then ultimately there's a breakthrough. And that's what we see in the story of Saul. Saul has the heart of a king. He doesn't know he's going to be king yet. He knows he's made for more and he's chasing donkeys, chasing donkeys. We all go through those seasons. Here's the second thing I want you to see is that God often uses circumstances to guide you to your destiny. God often uses circumstances, good and bad, to guide you to your destiny. Uh, 1948, there was a story that appeared in Reader's Digest. It's four years after World War II. And it's about a man named Marcel Sternberger. Now, Marcel Sternberger was in New York. He was going to work. He was getting on a subway. He was of Hungarian descent. In fact, he was an immigrant. And he stepped onto the subway. And as he did, it's full. And uh, if you've ever been to New York, you know what that's like. And a, at least it used to be. Uh, and a, a guy got up right at the last minute realizing that this was his stop and ran off the subway. And Marcel sat down in the seat that was open. Now, he found himself sitting next to Bella Paskin, who was another Hungarian, uh, who was reading a Hungarian newspaper. And so Marcel leaned over and said to him, do you mind if I read it over your shoulder? Well, it, ultimately, they got into a conversation. And it turns out that Bella Paskin had come to New York right after the war. Uh, the Russians had deported him uh, from his hometown in Debrecen uh, in Hungary, and he'd been taken to the Ukraine by the Russians to bury German soldiers. And when the war was over, he returned to his hometown, but his family wasn't there. In fact, there was another family living in his house, and he asked the neighbors, some people that he knew, where's my family, where's my wife? And they said they've been taken to Auschwitz, and we think that they died. And so he's heartbroken. All of his relationships are gone. Ultimately, uh, he leaves and comes to New York, and now Marcel Sternberger, just a few weeks before, the guy that's sitting next to him in the subway had met a young lady named uh, Mariah Paskin. And so he says to Bella Paskin on the train, what was your wife's name? And he says, Mariah. And so they stopped at the next station and Marcel uh, made some excuse about wanting to get coffee with him and so he got him to get off the train and they sat down. But he said, before I make coffee or we have coffee, I need to make a phone call. Now that's back when phones were attached to the wall. Do you remember those days? 
And so he apparently had taken down this woman, Mariah Paskin's phone number. And so he calls her up and he says, I met you just a few weeks ago. She said, I remember. He said, can you tell me the street and the street number that you lived on in Debreson, Hungary? And so she told him. And so he puts his hand over the thing and he turns to Bella and he says, what was the street you lived on and what was the number? You guessed it. It was the same house. And so Marcel Sternberger hands Bella Parkin the phone and says, your wife wants to talk to you. <laughs> Can you imagine that, that moment? That's a true story. It's in Reader's Digest. Everything was true in Reader's Digest. Anybody remember Reader's Digest? Yeah, those of you who are younger, it's kind of like Wikipedia, only it's stories, so it's definitely true. What a story. What a story. And here, here's the question. Was that a coincidence? Or was it, as Reader's Digest ended that story, that God was riding on the subway? God was riding on the subway. You know, God often uses circumstances to guide you to your destiny. Saul and his buddy have been chasing donkeys for days. Saul's ready to give up, okay? Because he figures that his dad is probably more worried about him now than he was those donkeys. So he says to his friend, let's go home. And his friend says, let's try one more thing. Let's go see the man of God. I know there's a man of God in the area. The man of God was Samuel. Now, here's what's interesting is uh, Saul says we don't have any money. Why did they need money? Apparently, Samuel charged money for his prophecies. That's a whole nother issue. We're not going to talk about that right now. But anyway, they found some money in their coat pocket, and they go to the man of God. And here's, here we pick up the, the story from there. It says, now, the day before Saul came, God had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and I'm going to anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will deliver them from the hands of the Philistine. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. And so when Samuel caught sight of Saul, fumbling in his pocket to make sure they had money, the Lord said, said to him, this is the man that I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And Saul has no idea. Saul still thinks it's about the donkeys. He can tell us where the donkeys are. And actually, it's about to be about his destiny. You know, my donkey to destiny stories are usually not as dramatic as, you know, a revelation on a subway or a dream from a man of God. But there have been many times when I felt like I was chasing donkeys and God brought somebody into my life that led me closer to where my destiny was. Remember several years ago, I was playing golf with a guy that I didn't know. And I actually kind of enjoy doing that. I'm not very good, but I enjoy the conversation, the relationship. And I, at that point in my life, I felt a little bit like I was chasing some donkeys. I didn't know what was next. I had a dream in my heart, but I didn't know how it would come to be. And while I was playing golf, this man, Billy, asked me a question. He said, what's the dream in your heart? And I said, uh, I felt like he was safe so I could share it with him. And I, I said, it's to plant churches. He said, how many? I want to plant 2,000. And uh, so he says, how you doing? I said, well, we're 0 for 3 and uh, not doing all that well. And, uh, and here, here's, what he, here's what he saw. 
Billy looked into me and he didn't see a guy who was failing at his dream. What he saw was a church planting movement inside of me and that I was chasing donkeys and didn't realize that God really did have something greater. So Billy introduced me to his son-in-law, Chris, and uh, I asked Chris the same thing. I said, Chris, what's the dream in your heart? And he said, I want to plant a church. I said, where? He said, Birmingham. I said, why Birmingham? And he's not that Birmingham's terrible, but have you been there? You know? And so I said, why Birmingham? And he said, because I like SEC baseball. He's an LSU fan. They always played at Birmingham, and I'd come to Birmingham. Just kind of a carnal thing. He just liked the city. I said, okay. So I said, here's what we'll do. We'll give you some money from Seacoast. We'll help you get started, but what you've got to do is when you reach your budget, you've got to pay it forward so that we can do it again. And so Chris introduced me to his friend, Rick. And Rick said, uh, I'd like to start a church too. Um, and and, and my, what's in my heart is Little Rock, Arkansas. And I said, well, Rick, that's great, but we don't have a lot of money left. You know, you always got a little stash off to the side. You understand what I'm saying? But it was kind of our emergency fund. And he said, but you did it for Chris. And I said, okay, we'll do it. And so we spent our emergency fund. Dave Ramsey would have not liked Seacoast Church at the time. We're better than that now. So anyway, so, so then he planted his church. And, and then Rick introduced me to Randy, his brother. And Randy had a church in his heart too. Well, it was in Florida. And I said to Randy, Randy, we really don't have any money. Come work for us for a year uh, and uh, be a, uh, an intern, and we'll save our money, and we'll help you plant your church. And we did that the very next year. And that church in Birmingham grew to be over 50,000, and the one in Little Rock's over 25,000, and the one in Florida's over 15,000 people. And what happened is before long, we had created a worldwide movement with nearly 1,000 brand-new churches and hundreds of thousands of people worshiping in them. And it started... Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it started just chasing donkeys. On a golf course, meeting someone who was the man of God. See, I've met a lot of people faithfully chasing donkeys and have chance meetings and crazy coincidences, and it changed the course of their destiny. Like Saul, none of us really knew what it was about. We, we thought it was about donkeys, and it became about destinies. So we all go through those seasons and God often uses circumstances to guide us to our destiny. Just one more thing. The only thing that stands between the donkeys and your destiny is a fresh word from God. Is a fresh, I, want, I want to say that to you. You're watching online, you're here. You feel like you're chasing donkeys. The only thing between your donkeys and your destiny is a fresh word from God. 1 Samuel 9 and verse 27, it says, as they were going down to the edge of town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant, your friend that's with you, to go on ahead of us. And the servant did. But you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. He's saying, Saul, stand still. I know you're worried about your dad and you're worried about the donkeys and you're anxious to get back and get to headed home, but just stand still, slow down, because God is gonna give you a word that's gonna transform your life. And some of you here today, God is giving you a word today that could transform your life. 
God may be telling you, I know you're worried about your problems. I know you're worried about the dream or the burden that you're carrying. I know that you're worried about your finances or your country or your job or your children or about your bills. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be still and know that I am God because I have a word for you. God has a word for you. God has a word. God has a program. God has a design. God has a destiny. God has a purpose. God has an intention. Here's audience participation. Would you take your pulse? Everybody in here, take your pulse. Come on, let's do it. Take your pulse. Because here's what I know. If you've got a pulse, God has a plan. Amen. Amen. If you've got a pulse, God's got a plan. You know, you may feel like I've blown it too, too, too big in order for God to drop, you know, a, a, a vision, a destiny, or whatever in, in my life. Really, who told you that? Have you read the stories in the Old Testament? That's why I tell you to read them, even in the New Testament. You know, we, we were going to do a family series one year, uh, and we decided, we do family series regularly, but we decided this time we're going to base it on a biblical family. Here's what we found out. They are all jacked up. Every one of them are jacked up. Just are. But God used those people in amazing ways regardless. You may feel like you're too old. You know, you're 65, you're 75, and the best is behind you. Who told you that? Do you, do you remember the song that we sang together that was written in this house? just a few minutes ago, that talked about the fact that God is the God who specializes in turning graves into gardens. And that's not just resolved or reserved for Easter 2,000 years ago because the lid is blown off and that's what God does. He turns graves into gardens. He turns donkey chasing into destinies. You're never too old because the best, I believe, is yet to come. See, I'm getting excited here. 1 Samuel 10 and verse 2. It's kind of hard to know whether you're excited or not. <laughs> Maybe we should play pin the tail on the donkey, you know, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> I, I hate these. We wear them because we want to serve our fellow man, right? And that's why we do it. But one of you needs to invent one that you can actually breathe and worship in. That would be wonderful. Anyway, that wasn't a political comment. That was Greg. All right, let's go 1 Samuel 10:2. When you leave me today, Samuel said, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza on the border of Benjamin. And they will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for, they've been found. God takes care of the donkeys. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and he's worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? I want my son to come home. See, when we lose our donkeys, sometimes you feel overwhelmed by problems, tensions, burdens, frustration. God's saying, slow down. I, I, I've got it under control. You feel like God has passed you by. You're out chasing donkeys and Today, Saul's instruction is your invitation. Come home, come home, come home. Don't despise the donkeys. Don't drown in discouragement. Just come home. 
God's got it for you. Spend some time with him. It's why we have a response time at the end of our service. And I'm excited that we're reinstituting response time. We're trying to do everything we can to do it as, as safely for you as we can. And we're bringing things back in just a little bit at a time. I think today we brought back in the middle school, high school ministry and bringing back some of the response time. We'll have more of it uh, as the weeks go on. But in response time, what we do is we decided a few years ago that you know, at the end of the service, rather than just, okay, that's the end of the message, let's take an offering and leave. We decided, let's spend some time and ask God, God, what are you saying? How, how can I apply what you're, you've taught today? What are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Just, just taking time, just settling down, just waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40 and verse 29 says he gives power to the faint. Some of you may feel a little faint today. And to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, he'll renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, it's not about your problems. It's not about your donkeys. It's about you being anointed as royalty to be used in the kingdom of God. This story, this story is about much more than just Saul. This story is about you and God's anointing for you and God's destiny for you. And he says, just just wait on the Lord. You know, I wonder who of us has missed out because we're, we're worried about the donkeys and we're failing to realize that God was just simply using them to call us away to get a fresh word from him. Don't fret over the circumstances in your life. I've told you many, many times over the years. Some of you have been coming here a long time. You've heard some of the stories over and over and over again. But you know what? Sometimes when it feels like things are falling apart, they're actually just falling together. That's why be really, really slow to put a good tag or a bad tag on a certain circumstance. Because you don't know. You don't know how God will use it. Well, I can tell you this. If you'll allow him to, God will use whatever circumstance you're in to bring you closer to your destiny. God has ordered your circumstances today. And I don't care what anybody else is telling you. The best is yet to come. Let's say that together. The best is yet to come. In my life, the best is yet to come. Will you bow for prayer? Father, I thank you today for this wonderful group of people who gathered here, who gathered outdoors on the lawn, who are maybe in their home, or maybe in an offsite campus. I thank you for them. Lord, there are many of us that are in a season right now of bothersome circumstances and we feel like we're just chasing donkeys like Saul was. Thank you for the stories. And now we're gonna practice just being still before you. Just being still before you. God, would you speak to us? Would you draw us into your presence? Maybe it's with some of the worship that we're gonna do. Maybe it's just a word from you. Maybe it's through somebody that's here. God, but I pray that your kingdom would come. 
and your will would be done in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.